Today we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and, and the title of the message is The Gray Factor. I like gray. It's a nice color, right? You know, it, for some reason, right now, gray in color schemes is popular. People are painting their houses and walls gray, which is cool. But unfortunately, gray is even more popular than the color scheme or how you're remodeling your room or your house in the sense that now it seems like more than ever, but we don't really know because we haven't been around forever, have we? Now more than ever, it seems like there's a, a, a push to the gray, so to speak. There's no more black and white, and the more time goes by, it seems that there's less of an emphasis on right and wrong and truth and falsehood, and there's more of a push to this, hey, if it's okay for you, it's all right. If it's a gray area, there's no big deal. But the problem is that that's not the way that God intended it to be. He doesn't want there to be a gray that people end up doing whatever they want to do. In fact, in, in the scriptures, whenever we see the people doing whatever they want to do, what happens? They get themselves into trouble. Usually when people start to dabble or to to go into the gray more than distinguishing between right and wrong, black and white, usually uh, the effect is self-focus. It's what I can do, what my liberties are, what I am able to have the freedom to do instead of what others are doing and have the freedom to do. Or corporately, who has the freedom to do what? We're going to look at 1 John today and, and get reestablished in the truth that God has designed things to be black and white. That does not mean that we become legalists in the sense of policing people and telling them what's right and wrong, because the world's going to do what it wants anyway. But for us to be an example of righteousness and truth, as opposed to falsehood and lies, is really what I believe God wants us to do. He wants us to be as his church. 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Can I get an amen? Jesus says to his disciples around the Last Supper table, he says to them, hey, I'm going to take my, you know, I'm going to take off my outer garments and, and gird around, the, and I'm going to come around, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter says, no, Lord, don't do it. I don't want you to wash my feet. And, and, and Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you will have no part with me. And Peter says, oh, in that case, give me a bath, wash my whole body, Lord. And Jesus says, your whole body doesn't need to be washed. You have been cleansed, and you are clean by the word that I've spoken to you, right? Because only your feet need to be washed. And I was reminded of this just in worship as we were praising the Lord, that as we go through the day and the week, our feet get dirty. We pick up the junk and stuff from this world that we, that we don't really need in our lives. And before you know it, You know, your feet are filthy because of just walking around. The other day, Oliver came home from school, and he comes in, and he runs in. We have seven puppies right now. One of the dogs had puppies. And he runs in, and he starts playing with the puppies, and he's holding the puppy. And then I'm in the other room, and he comes in. and And I said to him, Oliver, were you holding a puppy? 
And he said, yeah. And I said, did you wash your hands when you got home from school? We have a strict rule, you know. Newborn babies and newborn puppies, you have to wash your hands before you hold them. Cats, they can clean themselves. But you need to, first thing you do, go and wash your hands. And, and I said, did you wash your hands? But it was a rhetorical question. I know that he didn't wash his hands. you know why? Because his hands were black, up to the elbows. And at some point, I don't know if he was crying or, or he got a little water somehow from the grass at school. There was, there was two trails of cleanness. So you could see his white skin, but underneath it was just all black. And he went and he washed his hands and he came back. And this is the thing that, that, that is, I think is remarkable about little kids. He comes back and I said, did you wash your hands? He says, yeah, look, and his arms from his wrist down are all still black. I'm like, look at your arms, bro. Look at your arms. And he's like, what? What? Oh. I'm like, next time, you know, let's wash from your elbows down, okay? He's like, okay. So he went back and, and washed his, from his elbows down. But the, the reality is it's not just our feet that gets dirty. It's, it could be our whole body. And I so look forward to coming to church on Wednesday and Sundays and whenever else we get together because there's a cleansing that happens, there's a cleansing of sin that happens. There's a readjustment that happens. I just heard this the other day. In fact, uh, our brother Glenn graduated on Friday from U-Turn and Pahrump, and one of the, one of the pastors said this, uh, seven days without being in the Word makes one week. Get it? Seven days makes a week. But seven days without being in God's Word or being in prayer makes one week. And the longer period of time you go in without being in fellowship, being in the word, allowing God's word to cleanse you and to purify you and to readjust and give you that right perspective again, the further you start to drift away. And listen, you know how I know that? Not because of what I see, not because of the people that I know that has happened to, it's because of me. It's because if I let one day go by, I still feel fine. Two days, I'm cool. Three days, four days. Sometimes I wonder if I wasn't forced to be in the Word because I have to get ready for Bible study, how diligent I would be to be in the Word on a daily basis. And if it does happen where I have a vacation and we're going, you know, to see family or we're traveling or so, I can tell if I do neglect, the, the more time I neglect on a daily basis to being in the word, allowing him to cleanse me, to being drawn and propelled in the light, the more dirty I get and the more difficult it becomes to walk in the spirit. The Lord's like, Tim, did you wash your hands today? I'm like, yeah, I'm good, Lord. He's like, check out your arms, bro. You got to be in the word. It's what cleanses us. It's what purifies us. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, God is always talking about light and darkness, right? And we like that, so we, we, even in pop culture, we have light versus the dark in movies and TV shows and, and novels and all kinds of things. But God shows himself as, always in the scripture, he shows himself as the light. 
And it's by no coincidence that when we flip over to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and we're reading about creation, what is the first thing technically that's created spoken by God? Isn't that interesting? God says, let there be light. And there's a distinction between the light and the darkness. Now let's take that verse and couple it with all the other verses that we know about light and darkness. What would that tell us about God that one of the first things that he creates is light? Well, if God is light, God's desire is that his presence would illuminate the very first stages of creation itself. See, it's all about God's presence. It's all about God wanting to be with us, inviting us to be with him, and over and over again, him being the demonstration of light in a world that is very dark. I don't know if many of you have traveled around the world before, but when you go to different places, there's a reality that we understand scripturally that there's a a spiritual warfare that's happening. We don't know exactly, uh, we can't look into it or know exactly how that works or functions, but, but we know that it's true, and especially if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're able to travel, you can go to some places that are very spiritually dark, and you can feel how dark it is. I remember being over in Eastern Europe for so long. When we would come over, I would so look forward to coming back on furlough to the States, just because there was some kind, of, some kind of light that was here. Not because I was familiar with it, not because it was my culture, but because it seemed like every time I would bump into some Christian in the airport at a McDonald's getting gas, and I would talk to them, and we would have this refreshment of spirit. And I knew over there that the chances of bumping into somebody who, who rightfully uh, believed and proclaimed Jesus Christ as their Savior was, was maybe 1% or less. And yeah, that, that, that gives greater opportunity, right? So share the gospel with everybody. That's good. But God intended us also to have fellowship with other believers to get that recharge, to get that cleansing off of each other, that speaking of truth, speaking of the word into each other's lives. So there was, a, there was a greater spiritual battle in a sense that we had to press in and seek God for. Other places that you go as well. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Doesn't that remind you of a song? I don't know if many of you have been believers for very long or, or what your background is, but my kids, uh, Grace used to do the kids' ministry in Croatia, and my kids would sing this song almost every day. In fact, I started singing it the other day, and there was, some, there was, there was a couple people who knew it. Jump, jump, jump into the light, light, light. Run, run, run away from what's not right. Come on. Jump, jump, jump out of the dark, dark, dark. Run to Jesus, give him your heart. I can pick it up an octave if you guys want. Jump, jump, jump. <laughs> you think I can sing. The idea is like even teaching our kids from a young age that there's a, a, there's a difference, there's a distinction. They can tell that this world is dark. 
that God's intention is, is that we would recognize him as light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I had a very candid conversation with a brother who I have known my entire life who professes to be a Christian. But I know at that point in his life, he was living in sin. He was having sex with his girlfriend. He was doing drugs. He was drinking. He was doing other things that that he shouldn't have been doing. And every time I had the opportunity to talk to him, I'd say, why are you living your life like this? You know it's a lie. You know the wages of sin is death. This is not going to turn out good for you. And he'd say, I think you're forgetting something. I am a Christian. So why are you always preaching at me? And I'd say, you know why? Because you're not acting like a Christian. You're walking in the darkness. And here's the thing, brother, I love you. It would be better for you to not call yourself a Christian and just go do whatever you want to do. If you want to give yourself over to sin, if you want to give yourself over to the flesh, then go. I don't care. You know why? Because it's still up to you at the end of the day what you're going to do with your life. And I can't change that. But do me a favor and everybody else who calls them a Christian, don't refer to yourself as a Christian. If you're going to go into the world, live in the darkness and lie to yourself or allow yourself to think that you're doing things right when you know that you're doing things wrong. This is the black and white that God is talking about. If you're going to walk in the spirit, you'll in the spirit, follow the Lord and there will be light. If you're going to walk in the darkness, there's no light. Have you guys ever tried to walk around your house at night with no lights? I woke up last night. Kids are tossing and turning. They're sick. Grace is at home with another sick one this morning. And I know that when I wake up, it's not a matter of knowing my surroundings because I know my surroundings. You know, I know what my room's like. I know what my house is like. I can get around in the dark, no problem. I know when the wall's coming up, bam. Oh, I thought there was a wall there. It was closer. No, I know. Where, where the walls are at. But the problem is, is that we have these dogs right now, and dogs are very inconsistent. They don't sleep in the same spot. So I wake up, and I'm going to the bathroom early in the morning. It's pitch black, and I step on our poodle and almost fall, you know, on my face into the bathroom because I can't see. This is the thing with people who walk in the darkness, their path is not illuminated. They can't see and they stumble much more easily, much more frequently. But when you walk in the light, you can see everything. This month, is it today the second? This month is known as the month of darkness. And, and they celebrate darkness, and I'm looking at all these things. I'm seeing these ghouls and goblins or whatever. You know, I don't, I don't like it. I don't care for it. I'm not going to tell anybody what to do, whatever. But when I was, when I was younger and we used to t- take part in those kind of things, I remember those scary houses that you'd go into. You guys ever go into those things? you go into a scary house, and then out of nowhere, this thing would pop up and scare you, and you'd scream. And they up the ante. They have these 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 realistic, scary houses now, haunted houses that are extreme. They have professional actors that come in and all the whole thing. But here's the deal. When you go into one of those places, what is it like? It's dark. It's dark. And there's this whole big house with all these people hiding to haunt you and to scare you. And all you have to do, there's a new group of people coming in, and all I have to do is walk over, beep, turn on the light, and nothing's scary anymore. Is it? 
Because you can see the dude in the mask behind the coffin. You can see the lady that wants to look like a witch, and it's not scary. You're like, hey, what's up? How are you guys doing? Like, are we going to get this thing started or what? It's the light. It's the light. And God is light. His desire is for us to dwell with him in light and not allow any darkness to be in our lives at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Man, I appreciate that, the second part of that verse. You know what it says? It says we lie and we do not practice the truth. Practice in the Greek technically isn't there. It's a fill-in for us to understand a little bit better. But it does help us understand that we are practicers of truth. We're not to be perfect people living in truth. We're not professionals in truth. We're practicers. I was talking to a brother a couple days ago, again, at this event that we had, and this guy is fit. He's fit. He, he's very active. He looks healthy. He looks active. He's toned. He just bowled a 300 not too long ago. He went bowling, bowled a 300. This guy's amazing. And I'm looking at him, and he, he says to me, hey, guess what? And I said, what? He said, I went to the doctor for my annual checkup. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, guess what they told me? I said, I don't know. What would they tell you? He said, they told me I'm pre-diabetic. And I started laughing. I'm like, you are pre-diabetic? If you're pre-diabetic, dude, I'm in big trouble. For real. And he said, yeah, we, I can't believe it either. They said, I'm pre-diabetic and I have to lose some more weight and there's some other things that need to be addressed. And I was like, man, well, you know what? That's why it's, we have to remember that they're practicing those doctors. <laughs> Get it? They're practicing doctors. They're not professionals. Well, you know, you get it. It's a joke. So don't, don't let it, you know, don't let it get to your brother because he's just, he's just practicing. We're practicing Christians. We're practicing righteousness. And for anybody who gets a haughty heart and says, you know what, forget you, Pastor Tim. I am the epitome of righteousness. I just feel sorry for you because the Lord's going to show you that we're practicers of righteousness. We, not, we don't embody righteousness in itself. So these verses, they're not to condemn Christians who stumble and fall and make poor decisions sometimes. In fact, we're going to look more at that specifically in chapter 2. This is just to remind us that we either give ourselves over wholly to the black or to the white. There's no gray. We give ourselves over to the light. We give ourselves over to God. And when there's an adjustment that needs to take place, so there's not a gray aura that comes from our life, an adjustment is made by the grace of God and the presence of his Holy Spirit, and then we're able to better embody light. But if we're only walking in darkness, like the scripture just said that we read, if we're only walking in darkness, but we're calling ourselves Christians and we're going to church, we're lying to ourselves. We're lying in general, and we're not practicers of righteousness. We're practicers of truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think that there's more truth to that verse we really understand. When a brother or a sister is walking in darkness in a way that they should not be walking, they do not like to come to church. Do you know why? 
because they know maybe the Holy Spirit has something to say to them through the message. They know that there's some form of conviction that's going to come, that thing is going to come up, that it may be called upon them to address that thing, and they don't want to do it. And what happens is if there's a separation in relationship with God because they're not seeking that relationship with God, they're living in darkness, they don't have fellowship with other Christians either. They don't have fellowship with other people. You don't want to hang out with your Christian friends if you're in sin, living in darkness. You want to hang out with those who are in darkness too. But then the light exposes the deeds of the darkness. We have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We have this great time every Friday night. Are you guys having fun at softball? Whoop, whoop, come on, yeah. We have a great, I, have, I am so blessed by this softball team. It is so much fun. But you know what the softball team in that time together does? When we have bruises, it bruises the, the body and it bruises the soul. <laughs> it bruises the pride, especially. What that time that we have together in softball, what it does is it says that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us from all sin. I, I am very competitive. If you guys didn't know that, I don't know. I'm very competitive, and when I get out there and we're playing softball, you know, I'm like, we've got to win. Like, what are you guys doing, you know? And they're like, that's your, that's your pastor, you guys? This is weird. No, it doesn't get that bad. But there are times where inside, internally, I'm like, why am I tripping? Why am I tripping right now? Why can't I just have fun, be blessed, and bless others? And then somebody comes up to me and says something, and it, it, it cleanses me. They can see there's a little frustration. Hey, you know, don't worry about it. Like, we're here for fun. I've had brothers come up and sisters, mostly brothers, come up to me afterwards and say, man, I was so close to getting in the flesh. But having that fellowship with one another, it, it keeps us accountable. It's fellowship in the spirit. It's fellowship not only that keeps us accountable, but in righteousness cleanses us. To not do things that we may have done if we were with a bunch of heathens. Oh yeah, I have, I have this thing where I do with my church family, and I have this thing where I do with a bunch of guys who are in the world, and I act completely different when I'm with my church and when I'm with the world. With the world, guys, I can see whatever I want. No, you can't. No, you can't. It's a little easier to stay on the straight and narrow when you're with your brothers and sisters because there is that level of accountability. But the darkness loves the darkness. And the more dark you are, the better it is. It seemed like when I was in the darkness, when I was in the world, my friends and I, we would always be trying to up the ante for the others. See how, how, what terrible things we could do. You know, you see those, those people, those kids on the internet that are playing that, that were playing a year or two ago, you know, they were going around playing that knockout game. And we look at that and we think, that is so not cool, dude. You can't be hitting grandma or grandpa or whoever it is for no reason. And then there's some kind of, some kind of you know, righteous fury that, that comes up and, and you say, I wish I was there when you did that, you little punk. But I wasn't far off from that. 
I wasn't far off from saying, hey, guys, check this out. Hey, let's go do this. Oh, you don't want to? Because the darkness, that's the kind of fellowship the darkness has. It's the deeds of the flesh. And what ends up happening is sin corrupts absolutely, and from sin comes death. I lost friends. They're dead now because they were doing things that they should not have been doing. And if they weren't doing them, they would have died. And nobody wants to admit that. Nobody wants to say, hey, if we weren't at this place at this time, if we weren't resisting arrest or whatever the case may be, you'd still be alive right now. They want to justify it and qualify it. Like, no, it's okay. It's all gray. You're the one who's at fault for doing your job or, or, or judging where my friend was at that particular instance. No, it's black and white. Very recently, there was somebody that you know, is in our circle of, of knowledge who I don't know personally, but was driving under the influence, was driving drunk, got in an accident and killed somebody. And then there was this whole flame war about, you know, there was people coming out and saying things about her and her family, and there was people coming out and saying things about, you know, defending her and all these things. Listen, you know, like in the midst of the conversation and you guys debating and arguing about the gray, how gray, how light gray it is, somebody lost their life. When if you weren't doing what you should not have been doing, then they would still be alive today. Can we just call it for what it is? It's not gray. It's black and white. If you walk in the spirit, if you walk in the light, the deeds of the darkness will have no place in your life. Hallelujah. You don't have to worry about the consequences of sin when you're not allowing sin to be a part of who you are, especially as a Christian, who you are. The blood of the Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All throughout the scripture, it talks about how God is light. And I have a short list of a bunch of different places just to give us a little bit of perspective. You guys can jot these down in your notes if you'd like. But remember, who's the light and who's the darkness? John chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus' life was, it says, the light of men. Before Jesus came and walked with the disciples, they were living in darkness. Didn't matter who you were, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they were living in darkness. And when Jesus came, he was the light of men. And when they followed Jesus, what were they doing? They were walking in the light. Amen? Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus himself illuminates the darkness. And again, when we are following Jesus, we're walking in the light. There's no place for the deeds of the darkness in our lives. Psalm 104.2 said, God clothes himself in light. Think about clothes. Just close your eyes and picture God Almighty. Nobody's seen him. He's a spirit. He's love. He's truth. He's righteousness. And, and when people say they have, like, experienced the presence of God, he's clothed in light. 
He's just a bright light that you can't even, you can't even stand to see. It's so bright. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, God dwells in light unapproachable. Unapproachable. Now, do the people that have a near-death experience or who, who clinically die and then uh, are brought back to life via their heart or whatever the case was for their situation, do those people who all claim to see some kind of bright light do you think that they were studied up in their Bible and they realize that the Bible explicitly teaches that God is light? For most of them, it wasn't. In fact, some of them never read the Bible in their lives and they came back saying, I saw this bright light and now I know that there's something other than me in this world and the people around me. God is light. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, God is the Father of lights. That's cool, huh? Let there be light. God is our Father, and He's also the Father of light. Jesus' garments at His transfiguration became bright white in Matthew chapter 28, verse 3. In the new heaven and the new earth, there'll be no need for sun. Revelation chapter 21, 23 says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Back to Genesis again, we see both sides of the picture. God says, I'm going to give you the sun and the moon and the stars for light so that you're not in complete darkness. And then in Revelation chapter 21, he says, just dwelling in the presence of God, there's not going to be a need for a temple because God is everywhere. There's not going to be a need for a sun or a moon because the, the brightness of the Son and the Father is going to illuminate the entire city. What does that look like? I don't know, but it sounds really awesome. So there's going to be no nighttime. I, I think that we have to remember that, that we categorize and try to understand everything based on time. There's no time, so there's no day and night to keep track of time. It's eternity. How about just being able to rest and relax without necessarily having to go to sleep? I think that's what heaven's going to be like. We can rest and relax in the presence of God. Jesus Christ is our rest. He's our Sabbath rest. And then it's daylight and we can do things as well. To have riches, you have to accumulate riches and wealth. And it says that in that verse that the nations of the world are going to bring their gifts, are going to bring those uh, treasures, bring their glory and honor into it. It gives us a picture of the difference between what heaven and and being with God is and being in this world. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14 also talks about this concept 
Again, remember, uh, John is writing to the church and reminding them that they need to take heed to these things because there were some heresies that were creeping into the church, specifically this dualism with the Gnostics that were saying that you could do anything in the flesh, but the spirit and the flesh, they're, they're separate. So you can do anything in the flesh and the spirit's not affected by it. And John's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Anybody who says that they have fellowship with God will walk in darkness, they're lying. They can't walk in the flesh. They can't do whatever the flesh tells them to do and actually be in the light. And I think about that and I look at these verses and I think how applicable it still is for us today. Satan doesn't change his game plan. He's consistent. He's been doing the same thing for years, for decades, for generations and now I see churches who, who they're allowing the gray factor to trickle in. They're starting to say, it's okay to do these certain things. It's okay to live this way. It's okay to call yourself a Christian and then allow your flesh to partake in these other things that we know we shouldn't be doing. That's a lie. And the same message that John speaks to the church back here in 100 A.D., is the same that our church, the big capital C church, needs to hear too. God is light. He is holy. He is righteous. His desire is to walk with him in light, not in the darkness. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, where we talk a little bit more about this. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. For fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness or foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It's not even necessarily you were once in darkness. He says you were once darkness. You were darkness and you influenced those around you in darkness. You walked in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You know, we were talking about fruit a couple weeks ago, and I'll be honest, you know, I, I said a few things over and over again. There's the fruit of the flesh and there's fruit of the Spirit. That is a false statement. So I, I apologize to you. As I was processing it later and reading through these things, uh, there is no fruitfulness in darkness there's no fruitfulness when you look at a weed or you look at some kind of plant that doesn't bear fruit when we lived in prump we had a lot of weeds that we had to pick 
We had a, these huge tumbleweeds, and there wasn't any benefit to them at all. The only benefit was burning them. Why is that a benefit? Because who doesn't like a big old nasty bonfire? Especially Perump style, dude. We would pile those things up, you know, 15 feet high, pour that gasoline on, and, and run around with Indian paint for no reason. But that's all they were good for. Now, if they, if they made some kind of little berries or if they, if they produced some kind of fruit, then that would be another thing, you know? Like plant them over in the garden and cultivate them, right? And, 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 and glean the goodness, the fruit from them that they produce. But they don't produce any fruit. And those who live in the darkness, they don't produce fruit of the darkness. They just don't produce any fruit at all. And they're not good for anything. Does that make sense? For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. There's no fruit that comes from it. But rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let's flip back over to 1 John. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This applies for everybody. <laughs> There's nobody, not you or I or anybody else, that can say, I'm sinless. <laughs> I went to college with this guy. I was a roommate with him who bought into this, this doctrine of sinless perfection. Have you guys ever heard of it before? Sinless perfection is the doctrine that you are able to, uh, to become sinless in this life. And anything that happens to you, any kind of illness, any kind of anything is all connected to sin and you can become uh, perfect and sinless. And when you attain that sinless perfection, then there'll be no physical ailments. You'll be totally cool, 100% in the spirit all the time. And I sat down and talked to him one time and I said, it doesn't make any sense. He had chronic health problems as well. Isn't it interesting that those are the kind of people that buy into these things? He had chronic stomach issues, and, and even while I was talking to him, I could see him wincing. I'm like, look at you, man. Like, it's a lie. If you say that you have no sin, you're lying. Now, there are different degrees of sin. All sin is the same, and it all separates us from God. But there are different ways that we address certain sin in our lives, right? Thankfully, God doesn't just come on us, right, as we become believers and say, this is all the sin I want you to address right now. Overwhelming, you know, it puts you down. Oh, man, I can't do this. But he addresses it little by little over time. And as it comes up, just like in the Old Testament, how the nation of Israel, they weren't supposed to expel all of the people that lived in the land at once, lest the land become overrun. But God said, little by little, you will put out the parasites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and you keep going, and then they'll keep being addressed and keep being taken out, and then you will inherit the promised land. It's the same for us. God addresses these things in our lives. 
We respond to him and say, yes, Lord, I know you're right. I need to address that thing. And as long as we don't address it or we allow it to stay in our lives, there's a part of our life that remains unfruitful. I think we talked about that a couple weeks ago as well. But if we have no sin, we deceive. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That's pretty black and white, unfortunately. (laughs) If we want to be part of the truth, we have to acknowledge the truth. And then verse 9 is the next step. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God calls us sinners. Is he meanie? God, you big meanie, you called me a sinner. No, he's right. He's righteous in saying, this is the sin. Brother, sister, son, daughter, this is the sin. And then we have opportunity to respond. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a glorious verse that is. Because we always have opportunity for repentance. Always. Yeah, there may be sin, there may be struggle, there may be difficulty, but God always gives us the possibility of repentance. He even delays righteous judgment that's righteous, that should happen, hoping that we come to the place to confess our sins to him and say, this was an issue. It has been for a long time. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Cleanse me, God. And he will faithfully cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You know, when, when, when I got married in the very beginning, Grace and I, in our early stages of our marriage, I, it was like playing house. You know, like you live together. Now you have this wife and like you have roles and oh, we're going to have a baby, all these different things, you know, emotions and stuff. And it was very surreal in the beginning. But I wanted Grace to think that I was, you know, this righteous man of God. In fact, it was a joke that we had from dating. I really wanted it to snow in Hungary because I love the snow because I grew up in the stinking desert. And I wanted it to snow. And she said, you know, last, because she was there the winter before, and she said last winter it didn't snow at all. I said, don't you say that. Don't you dare say that. Because it's going to snow this winter. He's like, how do you know? And I said, because the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I'm praying for snow. And I kid you not, the day that we started courting or got together, this storm blew through and it dumped about two and a half feet of snow on us. And we were standing outside under the, the full moon after a fre- fresh blanket of snow had just been laid. And that's when we decided that we'd see if the Lord had our our relationship to go to the next step in the snow because the prayer of a righteous man (laughs) availeth much. And she would always say that to me, oh, the righteous man is praying. You better look out. And I'm like, I am praying. I totally forgot what my point was. (laughs) Oh, so in the beginning of our marriage, I was afraid to make mistakes, you know? Because I was a righteous man. I didn't do things wrong. I did everything right. And then the Lord started to address the secret sin in my life and say, hey, what about this, dude? What about that? Oh, by the way, you're not solo anymore. 
So your sin affects your wife, and it affects your kids, and it affects your family. And there were times where I had to go to grace and say, you know what, this is a sin that I had not realized has been dominating a part of my life, and I just want to confess it to you and talk to you about it. And I was scared. You don't want to confess inadequacies, confess darkness. Darkness is to stay in the closet with the door closed. The skeletons should remain there. And God said, you never told your wife about this stuff before you got married. Do you think you should have? And I thought, oh, man, here we go. You know, the first sleeping on the couch for a week or whatever the case may be. She's going to start bawling. I thought you were a righteous man. You deceived me. But when I went and talked to her, you know, there was such power in confession that she was floored that it even bothered me. She's like, really? You're weird. Like, you can address that stuff with the Lord, Tim. And I thank you for telling me, but frankly, I don't care. You need to address it and deal with it. I'm like, I am. That's why I'm confessing to you and to the Lord right now. But as the Lord brought those things up and brought healing, our fellowship, you know how it talks about fellowship so much, and we've been talking about it. Our fellowship, even as a husband and wife, got closer and closer and closer. But here in a marriage relationship, understand this, that when one spouse or two spouses are allowing areas of darkness in their life, the darkness starts to grow, and the darkness does not bring you closer together. It pushes you further and further and further apart. And I talk to a couple who comes in for marriage counseling, and I say to them, you guys are living two different lives. You're not living for each other. You're living for yourselves. You're playing house for your kids or for your careers or for your pensions or for whatever. What's going on and who's got the secret sin they've been hiding and for how long? Because it's always the case, every single time, the root of the issue is somebody's allowed unrighteousness and secret sin to dominate their life. And as the darkness creeps in and they're not walking in the light, they're further and further engaged from their spouse. But when the light shows up, in those counseling sessions, and people are repentant and they confess and say, you're right, I'm sorry, this is the thing and that's the thing. And the light exposes the deeds of the darkness. What, what immediately happens every single time is there's genuine fellowship again. And they're hugging each other and crying, oh, I love you so much, I'm so stupid. I know you're stupid, but I love you too, oh. Because it's addressed, it's confessed. And when we faithfully Confess to God, he is faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is something throughout the whole Bible that blows my mind, and I want you guys to think about it this week. Uh, God is so good. He's so gracious. Every single story you look at in the Bible, every single instance, every time God pronounces or brings judgment on somebody, he always gives them opportunity to repent first. Always. Isn't that interesting? to the very last day when judgment is being proclaimed or, or poured out on the entire earth. And I've said this a lot because it's a powerful verse to me. And God allows his angels to fly in the midst of the heaven proclaiming the gospel that, that, that they may have one last opportunity to confess their sin and receive forgiveness before the coming judgment. Isn't that amazing? 
That's our God. This isn't a God that smacks you around and beats you up. Discipline isn't beating. Discipline is correction. And the warning for us isn't just that God is light and and everything apart from Him is darkness. Walk in the light and, and not in the darkness. The warning is, hey, we get dirty sometimes. Stuff happens. But we have this access and this fellowship and opportunity to confess our sins to God. And He is always faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Don't wait seven days. Don't wait two or three days. Get in your word. Seek the Lord. Allow the light to illuminate those things. Allow him to wash you this week. Because seven days not being in the word or with the Lord makes one week. Makes one week. Let's pray. God, we know that these these verses and these words in your word are here for a reason. You want us to respond. You want us to confess so that you can faithfully cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that you can allow us, like Revelation to the church of Ephesus, you can allow us to be light bearers, holders of the light, lives that exhibit the light, and other people see. And just like moths to a flame or the the bugs at night, we would attract those in the world who you desire to have a right relationship with as well. Thank you, Father, for cleansing us, for restoring us, and for continuing to work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.